Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough... Or even if they don't dictate it, it's almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Uh, you may have noticed yesterday, folks, if you're a regular listener, that I didn't have a show. What were the technical issues that I mentioned at the survivalpodcast.com when I announced there wouldn't be a show? I lost my recorder. Couldn't find it. Searched all over the house for it and got to a point where I said, you know what? I got to get out of the door and I got to get up to the office. I just can't be here for another 15 minutes looking for it. I must have let it at the office. And I got to the office and it wasn't there. Yesterday at lunch, I decided that I almost, that it must be gone. Somebody stole it. That's how men are with a remote control and a TV. You can't find it. Somebody stole it. Right? So I was like, somebody stole my recorder. Right? So I called my wife and I'm like, I'm going to buy a new recorder. Somebody stole it. She's like, nobody stole it. It's at the house. I'm like, do you know where it is? She goes, no, but I'll find it. And I'm like, all right, fine, you find it. But if, I, if you don't find it, I'm going to go out and buy another one. So I got home yesterday, right on the same time she did. I was able to get out of the office a bit early. And uh, she's standing in the kitchen. She goes, well, I see it right now. Come in here. So I walk in and I look, and there it is sitting on the counter. Now, I'm convinced somebody stole and hid my recorder and then put it back because it wasn't there. I know better. It's a conspiracy. It was those black ops guys from the government that are trying to shut down the podcast. That's what it was. In all seriousness, though, um, I think it was actually good that I took a day off yesterday, and it was different than my vacation because I was in the car in the mornings, and that's what I think the best. That's why I do the show right now. At the end of the day, I have the day behind. Me and all the worries that came from the day, and I haven't processed it by sleeping and put it to bed and all those other things. When I'm on vacation, my my attention goes to my family. Yesterday, I sat in the car listening to talk radio, and I, uh, frankly, as much as I enjoy some of the people I listen to, I realized why podcasting's taking off so much. Not just my show, but you know other shows that are out there. Chris Future's show, it's mostly on libertarianism. It's a politics talk radio. His show's got huge. He's got his own, t- you know, online TV show now, basically. And uh, one of the one of the people that helped inspire me to do this show, Mobile, and uh, the. These shows are they're taking off on every niche from wine. You know, if you like wine, check out a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. Amazing, amazing podcaster. Really cool guy. All different types of wine. But all of these different shows have just blown up. And why? Well, because talk radio is like 15, 20% commercials, um, at least. So while I'm listening to talk radio yesterday, um, Every time commercials would come on, I'd shut the radio the hell off instead of listening to commercials, and I'd start thinking about the issues that they were talking about, and I would think about how they relate to survivalism. And because of that dialogue yesterday, I now have plans all through next week for what the shows are going to be. So, sorry I wasn't here, but I think it'll be better. Uh, today's show might go long, but, you know, I owe you some because... Um, I wasn't here yesterday. So let's start out with our advertisers. So you're going to hear about a lot of our advertisers today instead of just one like we typically do because we've got some things going on. Number one, I want to talk to you about our advertiser of the day for just a second. Um, that is SOE Tactical Gear, John Willis's organization. If you want the best tactical equipment, right, and this is things like holsters, bags, harnesses, slings, the best money can buy, 
made in America by legal Americans that pay their taxes right in the beautiful mountains of Tennessee deal with SOE Tactical Gear and John Willis. And today's a special day because we're doing a listener appreciation contest. Haven't done this in a long time, mainly because I've been out of mental bandwidth to handle shipping crap to people. Uh, but today I have three mini chest rigs that have been sitting around that I just haven't given away yet from John's organization. Uh, these are like, you know, for, for magazines, ammo, first aid, you name it, the little chest rigs. Uh, same kind of stuff that our guys that are in Delta Force and the SEALs are out there using. These guys, you know, they buy from John. That's, that's what SOE means. It means special operations equipment. So, that's going to be the listener contest code word today. If you've never played the contest before, you have to have joined the contest first. There is a link on the website for the listener contest. If you're not in the contest, do not play today because you will not win. Because I will check to see if you're in there, and if you're not, I will disqualify your entry. If you've joined the contest, here's how you play today. If you're listening to this podcast on Friday, tomorrow, or next week, or any time in the future, don't bother. I guarantee you by the end of today, all the prizes will be claimed. There's three of them. You send me an email. In the email, you give me in the body your name. The email address you join the contest with so I can verify that you join the contest to tell other people about the show and give me your shipping address. If you don't send me your shipping address, okay, I'm not going to try to track people down because I've done that before. No shipping address disqualified. I am going to give out. Don't do it yet. If you're listening and you're doing it right now, wait. You better get it all right. I'm going to give out three to respondent number 10, 30, and 60. 10, 30, and 60, that gives everybody that listens today a chance to win one of these one of these pieces of gear. The big thing in the subject line, you have to put the code words in for today. They are special operations equipment. Three words with spaces between them, or they are disqualified because my outlook is going to do all the filtering for me. I don't get to make a judgment call on that. Special operations equipment in the subject line, your name, shipping address, and email address you use to join the contest in the body of the email. And if you win, I will send you one of these chest rigs. Now, remember what the listener contest is about. You agree on your honor to tell other people about the show. That's how we've grown this show to over 7,000 uh, subscribe listeners and over 8,000 downloads a day. All right, so that wraps up the contest. Now, I said we're going to hear about more than one sponsor today. We're also going to hear about ready-made resources. Why? Even though they had their slaughter earlier this week for a show mention, because uh, their head guy over there sent me an email. And he said, hey, Jack, uh, we're doing a big sale on Mountain House for the next week and a half. And would you let people know? Absolutely. I know that that's a big thing with a lot of our listeners, the long-term storage foods. So they got a big sale going on at Mountain House with uh, ready-made resources. And then the next sponsor you're going to hear about very briefly today, and I'll tell you a lot about them tomorrow, but they are called Tea Party Silver, and they sell really cool silver coins and some other silver, uh, silver coins that commemorate the 2009 Tea Party. Uh, along with some other cool 
silver coins. I can tell you this, I already own some of their coins. When I was approached with them as a prospective sponsor, part of my due diligence, I ordered some coins from them to see them, to see how their customer service was, how their shipping was. They did a great job. I love these coins. I think the price is a very good price for this quality and mintage of a coin with this kind of a collector uh, associated value with it as well. They're, they're, they're pretty much right in line with what you're going to pay for American Silver Eagles today. Uh, so you're buying an ounce of silver for the price of an ounce of silver bullion, but you're getting something really cool. I think they belong in everybody's silver collection. We'll talk more about silver later today. In fact, it'll be one of the first things we talk about. Next thing, our forum. Consider joining the forum. I'm going to leave it at that today, but you'll be able to connect with a lot of other listeners, and you'll learn a lot, and you'll form relationships and friendships. If you're near Iowa, get in touch with Shannon Appleby about the Region 6 get-together. Um, there will be a link in the show notes where you can find out more. Um, if you think that this show is worth 25 cents an episode, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Um, that's my revenue model. I do take sponsors, but my primary revenue model, and it will always be about 80 to 90% from the listeners, is listener contributions by joining the Member Support Brigade. It's not just a contribution. You get exclusive content that's only available to members. You also get over $60 in retail value of free giveaways now when you join the Member Support Brigade. And I'll just tell you this. If it bothered you when there wasn't a show yesterday and you're not an MSB member, think about that for a bit. Um, the last thing I want to talk about before we get into today's topic is this guy that got lost in Australia. He was a kid from uh, the U.K., and he was lost for like 10 days or 14 days or something like that. There's a news story out about it. Um, I'll put a link to the news story so you can learn more. But I was asked if I would comment on it. Here's my comment. Um, kid didn't have a clue what he was doing. Um, he went on a hike with no equipment whatsoever. Dumb. Um, he also didn't take his cell phone with him on a hike. He wasn't that far out in the wilderness, but he was far enough to be lost. He basically went hungry for 10 days and slept huddled up, wrapped up in uh, his jacket and, uh, you know, some leaves on the ground and stuff like that. And the reality is... He's probably lucky he was there during what I guess you would call winter in Australia. Because if he had been there in the summer with higher temperatures, he, from the story I read, he probably would have died of dehydration. So what do I think about this? Um, I'm glad the kid's okay. I think what he did was dumb. I hope other people learn from it. And if you're ever on vacation, you're taking these little, you know, not even day hikes, these little hour hikes here, hour hikes there, you don't do it without water. A means of communication, assuming that it works. Some way to determine direction. I don't care if it's just a simple compass. And a little bit of equipment and gear. Just a little day pack. Don't put yourself into these vulnerable situations. There's a little bit on, I guess, not even really wilderness survival, but semi-wilderness survival today. So what is today's main subject? Well, today's main subject, now we burned up like 10 minutes, but uh, again, like I said, this is uh, kind of a makeup for yesterday as well. Um, Today's subject is what about alternative investments? I I get a lot of people saying that, you know, I want to do something with my money other than just hold cash, but I don't know where to put it right now. Uh, The stock market's down, but is it down enough? Is it going to keep going down? Is it going to stay down forever? What what do I do? And I get people with all kinds of theories. Hey, Jack, you're wrong about gold and silver. I put 100% of my money into silver, and I just think, oh, God, you fool. (laughs) That's like saying, you know what, if I put all my money on red on the roulette table, I have a 50% chance of winning. 
And if I win, I'll double my money in 10 seconds. Yes, and if you lose, you'll lose all of your money in 10 seconds. You want to spin the wheel, go ahead and see what happens. And when you put 100% of your money anywhere, that's what you're doing. You're laying down all your chips on one number on the table, and either you're going to win big or you're going to lose really big. So I thought I would go through some different alternative ways to invest your money today. And let's start with gold and silver. Now, here's how I feel about gold and silver personally. 10 to 15% of your savings, which includes your retirement and just your, like if you have a savings account and you store money in the house in a firebox or under your mattress or buried in a hole in the ground. All right. If you take all of your average saving balance, I think 10 to 15% of that should be in gold or silver. If you want to do five, that's great. You want to do two? I don't care. That's fine. Put something there. No problem. You want to do 20? Eh, you know, more aggressive than I would play it, but I understand and I can't really fault it. You start saying you want to do something stupid like 50, I'm going to tell you pull back. You got to think. Listen, folks, the important thing to understand about gold and silver as investments today is their purpose is not to act as currency, but to be liquidatable in exchange for currency. In other words, if you're sitting on silver and the dollar gets massively devalued and silver goes from, I don't know what it's trading at today, I didn't even look, somewhere between 14 and 20 bucks an ounce. Say it's 15 bucks an ounce today, I have no idea, I'll check it, don't tell me, I'll know before you know, before you email me and tell me, because I'll look when I go publish the show. Just say it's 15 bucks for, for the sake of argument. And it goes up to 60 bucks, which means it's doubled to 30 and then it doubled again. You've made an excellent return on your silver. Now, your cash that you're holding has been so devalued that it buys, you know, one-third of what, or, or basically at that point it would buy, honestly, about 20% of what it used to. Okay, if, if the two markets move concurrently, sometimes they do, sometimes they do not. But let's say that occurred. Now, you decide that you want something, you have to buy something, whatever it is, food, um, a house, a car, I don't care what it is, you have to purchase something. Now, you are not going to go take a couple bars of silver or a, a big stack of coins and go to whoever you want to purchase it from and hand them the silver, and they're going to take the silver and give you the item. It could happen, but it probably ain't going to happen. What you're going to do is take your $60 silver, liquidate it for whatever the currency of choice where you are purchasing the item is, take the currency of choice and use it to purchase the item. All right? That's important to understand. That's the power of gold and silver. Liquidatable for currency around the world. So as the currency is devalued, you can liquidate it for more and more currency. All right? Hopefully that makes perfect sense to you. Now, all these doomsday scenarios, the dollar will become worthless. There will be a new world currency or there will be the Amero and everything will be devalued. Here's the problem. Even if these doomsday, God, guys, please, you know, we're not that close to this nonsense yet. Hold on to your tinfoil hat and breathe. But if it did happen, the odds, you know, what would probably happen is the new currency would be based on the old metal. At least in some way have a relationship to it. And you might put all your money into silver at 20 bucks, right? And when the Amero got rolled out and your tinfoil hat was correct... It could be worth 15 Ameros an ounce. And 15 Ameros might buy less 
than the 20 American dollars would have. So the value of your silver relative to the new currency may have gone down. Same thing with gold. It can happen. I'm not worried about it happen, happening, but I'm also not going to play 100% into any one area, any one sector with my money, my investments, the fruits of my labor. All right? Hopefully that makes sense. So that's why I believe in this 10 to 15% ratio. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to do 10% gold, 5% silver, call that 15%, great. You wanted to flip it around, fine. Here's an interesting thing on silver, and this is, I, I tend to agree with this, at least to a degree. Jim Rogers just had an article yesterday on LouRockwell.com where he said that right now silver is a better play than gold because the historic delta, the difference, what percentage of an ounce of gold, an ounce of silver was worth, right, is way off right now. Gold has gone way up and silver has gone up a little bit. And that delta is huge. So what Jim's saying is gold's where it should be, so silver has to go up to compensate for the historical value of the two metals. My view is that could be right. It could be completely wrong. Gold could be overvalued right now. I don't think that it is. Don't write me hate mail, you people that are addicted to somebody. I got some listeners out there that, like, everything is gold. I mean, I expect if I came over to your house, you have gold toilet paper somehow. How addicted you guys are to gold. So don't get all upset with me when I say gold could be overpriced. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it could be. Why? Because silver hasn't gone up. That could be the very indicator that gold has been pushed up by speculation over fear of the world economies. And that if the world economies rebound and start to recover, at least short term we should see a decline in gold. And then once inflation kicks in, it may go back up. That would be kind of the pathway that could occur. But if that's the case then that means silver's priced where it should be. Why do I go through all that? Because either way, silver's the better play. If silver's priced fairly and gold is overpriced, right, silver's the better play. If silver's priced where it's supposed to be, if it's at a real value right now, and gold is overpriced, silver's the better play. So I completely agree with Jim's analysis, maybe just not 100% with how he got to it. Jim's probably smarter than me, so I'll let it go at that. But there's my thoughts on gold and silver. Uh, the next big investment, though, and this is the one that I, I, I think everyone should own. Everyone should own this investment, and it is land. I think you should own some land. I do not think that owning a condominium is a good idea. I do not think that having an apartment in the trendy area of your downtown city of choice is a good idea. I do not think living in a row, a row house that has a lawn that you can cut with a weed eater in 15 seconds is a good idea. I think you should own some dirt. I don't care if it's a tenth of an acre suburban lot. Uh, which is not my preference, or a half acre to five acres somewhere in the uh, outskirts on the edges of the suburbs or way out in the country, I think you should own land. I think if all you, 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 you've got to live in a city right now, if somewhere around five hours away from your house, you can find some rural land that has some promise, and you can buy it for a few thousand dollars an acre completely undeveloped, you should go out and buy some land. Now, exactly where you should buy, how much you should spend, all, you got to make those decisions for yourself. But I'm going to tell you something. The reason the gold and silver 
forth so much historically in the economies of mankind is because their supply is finite. They have a given level of rarity. You can't make more. Back in the Middle Ages, right, the alchemists were going to figure out how to turn lead into gold. Right? That was the big goal. Well, you know what? If any of them ever did it, the only way for it to be useful would be for it to have been kept secret. Because the minute you created the ability to produce gold or produce silver, to take a huge commodity that's worthless, not worthless, but worth very little like lead and convert it to something that's worth a lot of money like gold, you would devalue the gold. Because now it can be produced. And anything that can be produced will have less long-term value than something that is finite in its infinity, or have, you know, finite in its resources. Alright? Here's, I gotta tell you folks, they ain't making any more dirt. They ain't making any more land. There's only so much of it out there. So that's number one why I think it's a good investment. Number two, real estate historically, I don't care what the market's doing right now, has been a better return for investors than any other investment on the planet. More people have become millionaires in the United States through real estate than through any other method, period, end of story. Nothing else is even close. Right? Do you know why McDonald's became worth billions? It wasn't. It had nothing to do with a hamburger and a French fry. It's about real estate. You think about where all those McDonald's places are located. Ray Kroc said himself, "I'm not in the hamburger business. I'm in the real estate business. I use the hamburgers and the French fries through franchisees to buy the real estate, and that's why I'm a multi-billionaire." Alright? So that is another reason that I'm big on land. Just because of the historic performance of real estate. But third, because it will produce for you if you want it to. You can take any piece of land anywhere, even in the desert, and with the right techniques you can use it, if nothing else, to produce food and house livestock. And in a total shit hit the fan, that has a massive amount of value. There's a lot of things that go into it. I'm not going to get deep into how you select land today. I've done plenty of shows about that. I'll probably do another one. Uh, probably not in July, but another one. I'll do another one on it in August sometime. But it's important to look at a few things if we're even going to talk about land. And one of the big ones is you need to look for land that has a low probability of being abducted by eminent domain. That's why you don't want to be near highways and major roads. Not because the roving hordes will come get you when the shit hits the fan. In the Mad Max scenario, and we're beyond Thunderdome and all that other nonsense that people fantasize about, but because they expand roads and they take away land when they do it. So that's that's one. Two, you want to make sure you're not anywhere likely to be annexed by a school district or something that's going to jack up the property taxes that you've bet on staying low if you found that. And then there's one more thing i got to say about land. Is this is more land with houses on it in the suburbs, etc. Somebody admonished me. I answered their question about uh, on a listener question show this week about what to look for buying homes in the suburbs for leaving something out. And I've said it many times, uh, but they were right. I left it out. I don't know why. Maybe I was just busy and not thinking. But stay the hell away from homeowners associations. Homeowners associations suck. And you people that call me and email me and tell me I can't buy the house. It's not run by HOAs in my city. Bullshit. 
I, I just, one of my people that worked for me just told me that. You know what? And I, I got on Realtor.com. I said, what's your price range? How big a house do you want? What are your features? We found, I found four houses that were better deals than anything he looked at under the prices he said he was able to find on them. We, we went out and checked out with the real estate agents listing all four of them. Three of the four were not in HOAs. In the city he wanted to live in with the type of house he was looking for. But the problem was he had been working directly with a real estate agent who was trying to sell him what she thought he needed instead of what he really wanted. And he hadn't taken the initiative for himself. So I wanted to say that before we move on. Now, let's say you've got your land and your gold. Well, what else do you need to be self-sufficient? One of the first things I think you should do once you've decided this is a piece of land I'm going to keep, this is a house I'm going to keep, I'm going to be here for a while, start putting in some permanent crops. I see permanent crops as an investment, as an asset. A peach tree, an apple tree, and a grapevine are assets. They're investments. Let me break down for you how that works. Let's say your apple tree, uh, once it's mature, four years from now, um, it starts producing apples, and it produces, let's be conservative, 20 pounds of apples a year. All right? 20 pounds. Your peach tree, three, let's call it four years anyway. Three years it will be producing, but we're going to say four years. Uh, it also produces 20 pounds of peaches. Those are conservative numbers. All right? Your grapevine produces 20 pounds of grapes a year. Again, very conservative. It's easy to pull 80 pounds of grapes off a couple grapevines. Believe it or not, it's pretty easy to do. So we're going to say it's 60 pounds a year of apples, peaches, and grapes. And it will produce that for you for not ever, but for longer than you're going to live. Right, so as long as you live on that piece of property every year after they've had a chance to mature, and again, we're being highly conservative, 60 pounds of produce a year produced by those three items. Now, let's put some money behind this. Let's move it. God, you're a jerk. Merge, you moron. Oh, you are such a freaking idiot. Hold on, folks. You're a freaking guy. Learn to drive. Oh, I needed that. I had to have one in a while. What a freaking idiot. Anyway, let's put some numbers behind um, this 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 uh, the sixty pounds of produce. Let's call it three bucks, three dollars a pound. Okay, all right. That's all too conservative. Now you can buy crappy apples, but fresh, juicy, organic apples. Come on. Three bucks a pound, easy. Same with peaches, definitely with beautiful, fresh, organic grapes. Three bucks a pound is what they're worth. Because if you don't think it's three, it's two, well, we're going to get more production anyway. So let's just call it $3 by 60 pounds, $180 a year. Now, each one of these plants will cost you about 20 bucks to buy. You know, buying a peach tree, an apple tree from your local nursery, let's call them 30 bucks. Let's say the grapevines are 15, but you buy two, so you have two grapevines. Um, so you got 30 bucks in across the $90, all right? If I came to you today and said this is a, a, an investment that I want to present to you, this is how it works. You'll deposit $90 into a bank account, okay? And that $90 is in effect, it's gone. Four years from now, you'll get a check for $180, which will be a 100% return on your money. Every year, 
going forward, for as long as you live, you're going to get a check for $180. Do you want the investment, yes or no? If you don't want that investment, I think you're sick in the head. I don't think you get it. I don't think you understand it. And I'm not sure I can help you any further. Again, let me phrase it to you that way. You deposit $90 today. Four years from now, you get a check for $180. Every year for the rest of your life, ongoing, commensurate, you continue to get a check once a year for $180. If you live another 50 years, you'll get $9,000 in return. Nine thousand dollars in return off of your ninety bucks. That's why I think permanent crops are a good investment. You tell me where I'm wrong if you think I'm wrong. So consider planting some permanent crops. The next thing I think is gardens and the equipment to run and use and expand and manufacture. Shovels, hoes, alright, things to build trellises with, um, a compost bin, things that you have to build. A lot of the stuff doesn't cost any, mo- any money at all. It's sweat equity. You know, I, I talk to people and they're spending lots of money building their raised beds. Hey, you know what? Go out and get free wood. Go find some construction sites. Not as many of them as there used to be. But a lot of times you can go around where they're building houses and all and just pick up free scrap wood and build your beds out of that. And um, what people will say is, well, that's not really good outdoor rated wood, you know. I'll build my bed with that in four or five years. Uh, it'll pretty much rot away. And then I say, yeah, and you know what you do then? You do what Mel Bartholomew says in Square Foot Gardening. Go out and get some more free wood. Because the garden soil is going to be just fine. So you shovel it back a little bit and you rebuild your bed in about 15 minutes with some more free wood. So, you know, don't make money the big hurdle in getting into gardening. Now, gardening I don't see is quite the investment that permanent crops are. Once a permanent crop is established, except for maybe watering it a little bit during some really dry periods, you don't have to do much with it for the rest of your life. Gardening takes work and effort every year. There's a lot of techniques we've talked about here to mitigate that and make it less you know, less work every year, but um, it does take work. So it goes a little lower on my list, but it's definitely something that I see as an investment because, again, you can produce food for yourself. And uh, you'll be able to produce food for yourself that's better for you when times are good and will feed you and keep you from starving when times are bad. Another investment that I've been I've been really doing a lot of thought about lately, and I've got some people volunteering to help put some information together for me, others to do a show on it, is bees. Bees are an investment? I mean, bees, Jack, the little things that fly around and sting us. Um, you bet they are. They're a huge investment. Uh, when, you, when you think about all the work that bees do for your garden and for your permanent crops through pollinization, that alone makes having a hive or two worthwhile. Then if you think about how amazing of a food that honey is, and, you know, a hive or two, For an average homeowner, unless you make meat, it's probably going to give you more honey than you can use once those hides are established and running well. And, you know, I think beekeeping is something you really should get a mentor for and learn to do it right and get all the equipment and everything like that. Make sure you leave enough honey for your bees so that they can make it through winter and all that other good stuff. But um, I think bees are a huge overlooked investment. I think bees are a great business opportunity, Uh, either producing local honey uh, or producing local honey and or renting your bees out 
Floor pollinization. I've talked to some beekeepers recently that have lots of hives, and they actually transport their hives. They they lock them down so the bees can't get out, and they take the hive out, and they put it in the middle of an orchard, and they charge a guy a fee to rent their bees to them. And then at the end of the pollination season, they bring the bees back to wherever they are, or they take them to a, a, another orchard or another uh, place where pollination is later in the year, and they, they, they keep moving their bees around. And apparently the bees are just like, hey, wherever my hive is where my home is. And they don't have any problem adapting to this. And they make a pretty decent income off of that. And then, of course, uh, they get all the honey, too. And they you know either sell the honey or they use the honey. And there's a lot of different things. Now, I'm big on meat. And I think you might need more than a couple hives if you wanted to make any significant quantities of mead. Uh, but if bees are something I suggest you look into if you have the space and the time to take care of them. I'm just trying to get you to be creative. I'm not going to give you everything that I think of as an investment today. I'm just going to give you some off-the-wall ones here and there to get you thinking about leverage of an asset beyond what the guy that's paid to sell you mutual funds tells you. Because that's what your financial advice your financial advisor is not a financial advisor. I think that 90% or more of financial advisors are absolutely pathetically miserable in their job. I don't think they really set up candidate A any different than candidate B. The sales message is different. Oh, you need more security. Oh, you need to be more aggressive. Blah, blah, blah. Buy mutual funds. All right, and, and I'm, I'm absolutely fed up with those people, and that's why I say pull back once in a while and consider what leverage an asset actually means beyond the textbook definitions and the salesman's definition of them. All right, so uh, let's move on to the next item on my list, guns and ammunition. I think guns and ammunition are assets. I think they're investments. And I think some of you guys use that as an excuse to buy a hell of a lot more. Uh, Not necessarily ammo, but guns than you need. Uh, I think some of you sell your wives on buying that $3,000 kitted up rifle as honey. It's an investment. No, it's a toy that you want. But I think kept in check and kept in reality, guns and ammunition are huge investments. They're tools that can be used to feed you, that can be used to defend you. And yes, if you ever needed cash, you can generally sell a gun. Uh, in fact, right now you can probably sell a gun for more money than any time in history. Specifically, certain types make some models of guns. On this note, though, I want to talk to you today briefly about something that's probably going to be a full subject in the future. And that is the wisdom of our grandfathers when it came to firearms. I'll bet you your grandfather didn't own, you know, 15 rifles and 7 shotguns and 42 handguns and have a mountain of ammunition. Partially because he couldn't afford it, but partially because he thought differently than we do today. Odds are your grandfather, if he was an outdoorsman, a hunter, a sportsman, a guy that was out there putting meat in the pot and on the table and took it seriously, if he was that utilitarian guy of you know the World War II generation, this is what he probably owned. He probably owned a 22 rifle. He probably owned a center fire rifle. And depending on what part of the country, it could have been a bolt action, a pump, uh, a lever action, you name it. But he owned a center fire rifle. Probably owned a shotgun. And it was probably either a double barrel, a semi-auto, or a pump. And he may have owned a handgun or two. He may have had a 22 pistol and a center fire pistol or just one or the other. And he may not even own a handgun. Because handguns are about self-defense. And if he lived out in the country in the 50s, 
Probably wasn't that worried about self-defense. He can defend the house pretty good with that scatter gun. Um, and they make taking game a little bit harder. So he was probably more worried about the success rate of feeding his family than increasing the challenge of the, of the hunt. And I think that we've lost some of that wisdom with our desire to own 50 different makes and models of guns today. I'm not putting it down. I am guilty of it myself. Please understand that. But I think there is something to be said for having a really good, simplistic battery of weapons that you use for utilitarian purpose with that four-gun mainstream battery taking uh, the... uh, the helm for you, so to speak. And I think I'm moving my mentality a little bit more into that traditional uh, basis. And then I'd say, in today's world, you know, having a good, solid um, tactical weapon's not a bad idea. So, adding to that group, an AR-15, an AK-47, uh, a, a Mini-30, a Mini-14, an M1, uh, an M1A, uh, anything like that, that, probably not a bad idea, but I think that we've gone a little bit overboard with some of our collections, and that maybe we've put too much there, and we've put too much, and maybe it's not so much the numbers, but the complexity. Um, the people like me that own, um, I don't say how many guns I own, but I have well beyond a dozen calibers, not even to get into gauges of shotguns. Well, that creates a problem with, well, how much ammo can you store uh, for uh, universal usage across the board of all your weapons? And uh, so I think that maybe if we simplify that a bit, not so much in quantity of numbers, but in quantity of variations, we might be a lot better off. And again, if you have two old Winchester Model 12 pump-action 12-gauge shotguns and one breaks, you still have one. And uh, if, if both of them break for different reasons, you can probably harness the parts of one to get the other one operational. And there's something and wisdom to be said for that as well. The next one is food. I look at food as an investment. Um, if you buy $600 worth of Mountain House food today and put it on your shelf, and three years from now you just go out and buy some more of it and start eating the stuff you put on your shelf because it's time to rotate even something like that, at least start to, to, to try some of it and, and use a little bit of here and there so that by the time you got to 10 years it's a, it's all been used up and rotated. Um I don't see a problem with that. I, I mean, I, I think you're going to get a positive return of investment just on the appreciation of food. And yet if something goes wrong, you have that long-term storage food there with you as, a, uh, as, as an insurance policy against starvation, honestly, or against not even starvation, but, you know, call it misery. Living with very little food, living hand-to-mouth during a very hard period. Whether it's something that's happened just to you or happened to all of us, doesn't really matter. You've got that insurance there. And when people say, well, oh, wow, $600 worth of food? What's your grocery bill every week? 
it, it, it isn't like food is free. So I see food, specifically food that can be stored, um, stuff you can buy from the grocery store that can store for up to a year, stuff that you can buy from special providers like Mountain House and uh, what is it, something pantry is another good one. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite long-term storage items is made by a company called Yoder's. And it wasn't even really originally designed to be a long-term storage food. It was just a convenience thing. And it's canned bacon. Uh, you get about 50 slices of cooked canned bacon in a can of Yoder's for like about 13 bucks. I think, is about what the going rate is on a can. I don't know that you can get 50 slices of bacon at the grocery store raw that you have to cook yourself for 13 bucks. So I see food as an excellent uh, long-term investment, and it also is a hedge. And part of your investing should be hedging. And I'm not talking about hedge funds. I'm talking about what, what, what do you do when things go wrong? What do you do when plan A and plan B both fail? And uh, food is one of the ultimate hedges. Uh, the return of investment can be really high. In 2008, if you had stored food from 2007, um, I did a show where I figured out that a certain portfolio of food that most people use every day had about an 80% return while the stock market went um, on a uh, double-dipping decline. So there can be a, a ROI on cash there, but consider your ROI, just assume it's going to be low uh, on, on capital return, but understand the hedge and the insurance that you're creating, and you still have a better return than you do on a freaking savings account. So I think $600 to $1,000 invested in some long-term storage food is better than 600 to $1,000 in cash sitting in the bank, because one way or another, you got to eat. You always got to eat. Just buy stuff that you're going to eat sooner or later anyway. If you hate pinto beans, if you hate them, if you despise them, don't go buy a 100 pounds of them and say, well, at least they're there. Buy things that you're going to eat anyway and uh, create some create some longevity in your pantry. And that is a, just an absolute outstanding investment in this day and age. Um, the next one is, let's talk just a real brief thing here toward the end about paper assets like stocks, bonds, mutual funds. You may think that I'm all down on these. I'm not. I think that when you buy smart with the stock market, um, that it can be a very good way to invest your money. I just don't believe in what the financial advisor community tells us. And I, I really am at the point where when I listen to most financial advisors speak, I want to smack them in their face, but I understand that their ignorance has been taught to them. That they believe, they're not doing it to be mean or malicious. They've been trained this way and they don't know any better. You know, we're investing for the long haul. I'm an investor, not a trader. All these nonsensical statements. You can Nobody can predict what the market's going to do. I did last year. Right around this time. If you were listening in July of 2008, I basically pled the few listeners I had it, pled with them. Please get your money out of the stock market now. Do it. Put it in cash. I don't care what you do with it, but do not leave it in the stock market. A freight train is coming. Now, can I predict every up and down ebb and flow of the market? Absolutely not, because I can't predict the market. What I can do is look at writing on the wall and see when major events are going to occur. My gut told me the dot-com bust was coming. I didn't do it. 
My portfolio got cut in half overnight like most Americans. This time around, I looked at it and said, "Uh uh-uh, no way, not me, not going to happen. And it was part of what made me start this show. I didn't want it to happen to anybody else that was willing to listen. So if you saw your 401k cut in half, if you saw all your investments cut in half last year, it didn't have to happen, and if a hick redneck like me could tell you it was coming, your financial advisor that makes money to look at your money and not do a damn thing with it over the say and stay the course, right? He should have been able to tell you he couldn't and he had no incentive whatsoever. Even the fee-based people. Oh, give me a break. Right? No incentive to tell you, oh, move all your money to cash and just wait this thing out. That was the advice that anybody that really had any idea about what the hell was going on should have given their clients last year. And, you know, when it started to come down and it was like a thousand point drop, then it should have been, get out, get out, get out. But everybody waited. Everybody waited. And then they all jumped and it drove the market even further down. So stocks, bonds, CDs, all those things, great. Just don't have 100% of your money there ever. And when you see a major thing coming like this one was, when everybody's saying, this is bad, get out. What are you worried about? The, the worst thing that could have happened is all of those people could have been wrong. You could have moved all your money into cash, right? The market could have went up 5%. The crash could have not come. Everything could have leveled off. You would have looked at it. You would have said, okay, now I'm comfortable. I was wrong. Let's go back into a diversified portfolio with this particular portion of my income. Right? The worst thing that would have happened, you would have lost an opportunity to earn 5% on your money. Waiting out the end of 2008, trust me, if the, if the planets aligned and the Martians showed up, right, and, and, and turned people's cars into gold for them, not too many so that we threw things off, but just enough to stimulate the economy, right? And if, if all these, the, these, these, these things that fell apart didn't fall apart yet, that was the best that you could have hoped for anyway. So why risk half of what you had for the probability of making 5%? It was a fool's play. So, I'm okay with these investments, but God, please don't think they're autopilot. Don't worry about it. The market always comes back. All this other crap, all this other bullshit these people tell you, do not listen to it. 99% of them have no idea what they're talking about. They are trained to be relationship salespeople. They are not trained to understand the market at all. And if they did understand the market the way they claim to, they would be worth a fortune, and they wouldn't be dicking around with somebody like you telling you they're going to make you rich by investing $200 a month with them. All right? That's plain, straight-up honesty. If these guys were as good as most of them say they are, they'd be worth millions, and they'd be playing golf instead of messing around with you. That's, again, reality. The last one is cash. Um, I think a lot of people today are not understanding the value of having cash. And you say, what do I mean by that? I mean, I get emails all the time from people. Jack, I think if I just save cash and the dollar gets devalued, I'm losing. Well, you are. That's called inflation. 
It's been that way since, oh, I don't know, when would it all start? Oh, yeah, with the Federal Reserve in 1911. And, and cash has been depreciating in individual value since 1911. And then, oh, yeah, Roosevelt took the gold away, and, and then that made it worse. And then Nixon took this off the last vestiges of the gold standard in 1975, and it's gotten worse and worse every since, ever since, right? Let me ask you this, though. In 1920, if you were standing on the street with a $20 bill in your hand, would you have wadded it up, thrown it on the ground, and left it there? Well, no. $20 bought quite a bit in 1920. Right now, today, if you have any cash in your pocket, pick, take a $20 bill out and look at it. If you don't have one right now, look at it later. Look at a $20 bill. Throw it in the garbage. Go ahead, throw it away. You're not going to do it. Why won't you throw it away? Think about that. It's, that's not a technical error there, that pause. I want you to think about that. If, if you really think that cash is a poor investment, why won't you throw away a $20 bill and buy stuff, right? I mean, that, that's a pretty simple way to look at it. It buys stuff. It has value. It's useful to you. Now, it will buy for you less tomorrow than it does today, but you're not going to throw it away tomorrow either. How long is it going to be before you're going to be willing to throw away a $20 bill? Let me put it to you a totally different way that will explain to you why inflation makes it more important to save some cash, not less important. Let's say that gasoline today is, what, $2 a gallon? Okay. Now, your dollar, it's way over that. It's two-something a gallon. But let's just call it two bucks for round numbers. So your your $20 buys you $10 worth of gas. All right? So your your $20 bill is, is relatively powerful, at least in the scenario that I'm about to outline for you. So you're not going to throw it away because you could take it and put 10 gallons worth of gas in your car. Let's say that the dollar gets devalued. So much so that now your $20 bill only buys you one gallon of gas. So now for that same $20 bill, you only get one gallon of gas. Are you more or less likely to throw it away now? Now that it's going to cost you, for 10 gallons of gas, $200, how likely would you be to throw away a 20 I think if you're honest with yourself, you'd say I would be a lot less likely because I need more of them to get the same result. Cash is necessary in the modern economy. Now, don't get me wrong. I still understand that it's a fiat currency. I get that it has a propensity for absolute and total collapse. But until we see that collapse being imminent, folks, follow the advice that your kindergarten teacher and your grandparents gave you when you were a little bitty kid. Save your pennies because sooner or later they do add up. Cash is not a fool's investment. It's not a bad way to keep some of your money. And I'm telling you, 10 to 20 percent. So now, if you look at a, a, a portfolio like we're talking about, we've got, you know, depending on what the market conditions are, maybe we've got 30 or 40 percent of our retirement assets and, and some other investments in stocks and bonds and funds. Uh, or maybe right now we have very little to none. 
because we don't know what the hell the market's doing, and we already liquidated it before this happened, and it's sitting just in cash, and we're using cash as we see fit to make purchases. We're investing in our own piece of property. Maybe that right now, instead of worrying about the fact that the you know what do I do with all my excess cash that I would normally put away into a stock, pay down your property, get debt free. When the time comes that the economy really does look like it's going to rebound, if it happens, then you won't have the debt and you'll be able to put the money back into the market heavily. You'll have the funds while the opportunity exists. If it doesn't rebound, if the economy goes into just a 20-year abyss of, uh, of destruction, which I hate to say it, with a little couple little fake bumps in there, that's what we're staring at right now with some of the things our ass clowns are doing up in uh, up in Washington. They're making a bad situation a lot, not a little, a little worse, a lot worse. If that happens, you own your property free and clear. Whatever money you can get together, you don't have to spend on the property. You could survive better. All right? Again, you've got to think about what my main message is. It's not just a clever little marketing line I came up with. It's my passion. It's my belief. It's what I want for you. A better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. And you don't do that by playing the game in a mold that's been pre-created for you. You don't do that by going to a financial advisor that's been trained for six months on how to make you feel good about investing with him instead of actually how to analyze numbers and understand market trends. You don't buy from a guy that says, oh, don't worry about it. The people that run those mutual funds are smarter than you and I will ever be. And it doesn't acknowledge the fact that if you're sitting in a mid-cap mutual fund, there's only a certain group of companies that the fund advisor can even buy. And so a certain amount of the money in that fund always has to be in stocks. He can't. Your mutual fund advisor, why didn't your mutual fund advisor do what I said to do back in July, June, August of 2008? Why didn't your mutual fund advisor at XYZ Fund Midcap go, holy shit. The market's going to fall apart and take all of the fund's money and put it in a cash, wait for the market to just tumble, and then buy back all these stocks while they were deeply discounted and do an excellent job for you. And then but right now this year, if he did that, your return of investment would be about 60%. 60% if he would have jumped in June, July, or August. Three months, a full quarter to do it. And then bought back in February or March. The average fund would have returned 60% this year and would have not lost 50% last year. Why didn't he do it? Do you think I'm a genius and he's an idiot? Do you think that he left all his money? In his own fund, do you think he left his money in those stocks? No, he is smart. He does know what he's doing. He went to cash. He bought the stocks cheap. He did it. He couldn't do it with your money because by law, he wasn't allowed to do it with your money. Because you purchased a mid-cap mutual fund or a small-cap mutual fund or a tech-based mutual fund. And he is required by law to keep the majority of the money invested into the best stocks he can find in that sector at all times. He cannot move the money to safety no matter how big the freight train is. That's the reality of investing in mutual funds. And that's why at times you have to look up and go, okay, I'm moving my money. 
When I was telling people to do that, I want to make sure I finish up with this little piece of advice today. I got all these people, well, how do I get my money out of the stock market? It's in a 401k and I'm about to pay penalties. And oh my God, the world's going to end. You don't need to take your money out of a 401k or out of an IRA, okay, to get it out of the stock market. All you have to do is, is use the automated tools that you're given. If you have a login where you can view it or talk to whoever your advisor is or whoever there is and say, listen, this is what I want to do right now. I want to move all my money out of these mutual funds, bond funds, whatever, and there's a money market cash value fund, all right, some sort of, of basically almost like a checking or savings account in all of these vehicles. There, it's required by law that that option's there. I just want to sell everything and I want to put it in cash and I want to wait. And if you call a financial advisor and tell him that, he's going to say, oh, God, no, don't. Tell him, shut up and do it. Or do I need to get a new guy to do it for me? All right, because I, I, I'm the one that's taking the risk. This is my money, not yours. I want it in safety right now. That's what you do in those scenarios. So hopefully I've made you think today, because we've talked about things like real estate, gold, and silver. And we've talked about planting trees. And we've talked about keeping bees. And I'd say keeping chickens. Okay? All of these things are forms of investment. I want you to broaden your horizon with what assets are. I want you to start thinking this way day to day. What do I need? And then the next thing after what do I need is what makes me comfortable. Okay? And then after what makes me comfortable is what makes me happy. Those are your three levels of goals for your investments. First, establish the ability to provide for your needs. Second, establish an ability to make yourself more comfortable than just having what you need. Because honestly, we don't really need that much. And once you get your comfort level somewhat, then we focus on what really improves my overall long-term happiness in my life. Anything that fills those three goals, that offers you insurance against loss of them, and lasts a long time, it's an asset. It's an investment. So, if eating an ice cream cone makes you happy, it doesn't make it an investment. Because when you finish it, it's gone, it's done, it's over. There's no ROI. Short-term happiness. But if something contributes to that long-term happiness, it's there for a long time. And it doesn't take away from comfort and need. It's an investment. If you start thinking that way, it will open your eyes to new horizons and you will start to live that better life. This has been Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.